Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And it's time for the TV shows of 1999. There you go, I didn't fuck that one up, did I? No tongue ties <laughs> yeah. on this on this one. I'm back to being well pro. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but not only were we contending with the threat of the Y2K bug in 99, but we were consoling ourselves as the end of one of the biggest UK TV shows ever, Noel's House Party, finished. <sighs> and we wouldn't see another show like it until Ant and Deck took up the challenge with their Saturday night takeaway show. How long has that been going now? At least nearly 20, surely. Yeah, definitely longer than wow. Nostal's party lasted. Got But be. Um, PJ and Duncan when that show started. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, weren't they? Because they were um, doing, was it SMTV Live from, was it 2000? Um, yeah, Jesus. at the most, yeah. Bloody hell. I, yeah, I will always be grateful, though, for Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway, just so that my children have a taste of what I had when I was growing up with Saturday Night Telly, because obviously telly now is nothing <laughs> like it was when we were growing yeah. up. I'll Not give them a... their dues. It was definitely the nearest that what has been to the heyday. Yeah, it, it's a low bar at this point. But... Oh yeah, there's no Mister Blobby, you know. No, and, you know. So that on its own, really. But they they do a good job to to give some of that kind of like nice variety Saturday yeah. night TV family, yeah. sh- you know. Yeah, stuff give them that their dues, and so, you know, um, my, my kids D- absolutely DUIs love it. and you know whatever is going yeah. on with and. <laughs> um, yeah. But my my question is, no one knows. Yeah, and or and or deck. <laughs> one of the others. <laughs> one of them is always on the left. I can never remember which one. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, but that was not the only other TV news of the year. And with other stuff happening, we had Denise Van Houten sadly leaving the Big Breakfast and is replaced with Kelly Brook, unknown <laughs> teenager from Kent, Kelly Brook, yeah. who'd never hosted TV <laughs> ever before, and it didn't show. No, honest. <laughs> well, something showed, but it wasn't the well, talent. Yeah. <laughs> I remember everyone at school was very excited, but mm, I wonder why. Yeah, yeah it yeah. didn't. Yeah, it, it was. I feel bad for her. It didn't. The experiment did not pay off, and yeah. she deserved better. I don't know if she. I don't know if she. I don't remember her getting like really, really dragged for it. Like if it was nowadays with like social media, it would have been an awful pile on. But well, she made, she managed to make a, a successful career, I guess. Yeah, she's me. in Prana, Prana 3D. Um, <laughs> there you go. She'll be with that so yeah. there you go. Filming in London, uh, Noel Edmonds was filming in London and was hit in the face with two custard pies and a stunt organised by a recently launched Lads magazine. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Which mag? Front magazine? It didn't say in the article. It just said mm. recently launched. So it'll be Lads or whatever, FHM, but I don't think FHM I think FHM, FHM, and, FHM and Loaded, they were going through the 90s anyway, Nuts weren't they? Nuts and Zoo were like a bit later, oh, weren't yeah. they? They weren't yeah. they were like early 2000s, mid-2000s. I was never really a lad nah. mag buyer, to be honest. I couldn't be asked nah. for that shit. It was nah. free on the internet. I mean, come on, this guys. This has like Louise Redknapp on it. You weren't touching it, I know. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. I remember, Chris. I remember. <laughs> yes, yeah, name and shame. Here we go. And I'm sorry, okay. Chris, but you say it was free on the internet, but you had to wait half an hour for like one inch of the picture to load up on your 56k modem. Yes, you spent it was 10p the... for a black and white picture on your on your Nokia 3310. Yes, so. it was comic book guy downloading a picture of Captain Janeway, wasn't it? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hol- Hol- Holby City debuts on BBC One and runs for 22 odd years before being cancelled. Boo. Two words: Claire Goose. There you go. There you go. 
the, bro- the Broadcasting Standards Commission. <laughs> sorry, I'm holding up to that. I'm sorry. The Broadcasting, <laughs> the broadcasting Standards Commission upholds a complaint about a feature in the Teletext Games Magazine digitizer from the 26th of October 1998. Never. The, I know, right? The gossip column, Gossy the Dog, had alluded to Gossy's master thrashing the talking cartoon dog with a belt. Naughty, <laughs> naughty Mr. Biffo. It's a cartoon. Come on, people. It's teletext. It's, uh, it's graphics. Um, yeah. uh. The final episode of Grange Hill was aired on the 7th of March of this year. Wow. Rod Hull sadly died this year. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <From> the news. <laughs> Falling off his roof. Fixing trying aerial, to fix his it? TV area. Yeah. yeah. What a sad God. way to go for a ledge. Well, he, he shouldn't have been God. fixing it with the emo, emu puppet on his arm, should he? Was, <laughs> That's a joke, isn't it? What, yeah, what, did Rod Hull use, yeah. what did Rod Hole use to wash his clothes? Aerial yeah. and bounce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How are you supposed to fix an aerial with a goddamn puppet on your arm? I mean, come on. <laughs> I believe his last words were, I'll fly you for like a fly. But... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on. Kelly Brook leaves the big breakfast in July. <laughs> wow. <And it's>, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> wow. And like, was, I thought she was on it longer than that. I was really? Lisa saw her over a year. I'm shocked. Wow. And is replaced by Lisa Tarbuck. She was cool. I'll I tell you like what, Lisa. though. Lisa Tarbuck and Johnny Vaughan had some chemistry. Yeah. She was, was fantastic. I remember being one of those people that were like, Lisa Tarbuck? <laughs> like, Jimmy's daughter? daughter. <laughs> right? And then when uh, I watched it, I was like, actually, she's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, no, they had lovely chemistry, like, really lovely chemistry. The popular children's programme, The Tweedies, makes its debut on BBC Two at 10.30am and again at 3.25pm oh. on BBC One. The Tweenies, bloody Yeah, I, ne- I never got The Tweenies. It's well, we were, we were kind of like uh, 16 at the time, <laughs> for, you know, so like you wouldn't really. It's like a shit though, it's just... Oh, no, it was like and... it was like repackaged Tots TV, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, shit, Tots TV. There you go. Try wrapping so... your head around in the night garden, then. Poof, I still can't oh, make no, no sense of that. No, one. no, no, don't, because <laughs> I've got nieces and a nephew, and I have watched so many hours of In the Night Garden, and there's only what two series of it, so it's not that many. It's always on for the past like fifteen years of my life visiting family mm-hmm. down here in the night garden. I'm really quite glad my children have grown up. At least I've got kids of my own. At least I've got to watch that every single day. Mm. Sod that. <laughs> BBC One unveils its winter lineup of programming, which will include a remake of the 1960s television series Randall and Hopkirk, Deceased, featuring Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. I watched this with my mum because she remembers the original, and I actually enjoyed the Vic and Bob version. Yeah, same. It added same. a bit of zany energy to it, and it was just great having those two bounce off each other with that concept was just a thing that should have been given more seasons, I think, to be honest. Yeah, totally agree. I, really yeah, do. I, I remember seeing some of the original, like when they used to rerun it on like BBC Two. I think it was like Friday night kind of stuff. And I actually was quite excited for this when it came out. And I remember watching it quite avidly. And yeah, I liked it. It's pretty good. Yeah, so it turned something which had a bit of a reverent British humour about it in mm. originally, but made it a bit more humorous with Vic and Bob. Ooh. And I just, I just think it works, and I think they're again all on YouTube. I think those <laughs> crazy. But there was, but there was plenty of other stuff happening in the TV world of 1999. But we'll be here for the whole show, 
So, um, yeah, if you want to find out any more, then uh, go search it on Wikipedia like I did. So. <laughs> we take a look at two programs that debuted this year in Spaced and Bits and one which ended its original run but it did return to our screens 10 years later and that show is Red Dwarf. Chris, I feel like you want to christen your new microphone by blurting out all your feelings on your TV pick so please tell the good ladies and gentlemen what that is. Uh, My pick is Spaced. Little Ewoks. An entire empire brought to its knees by small furry creatures. That's my point exactly. Leave him alone. Brian, did you notice that everything that transpired in those three films, and I mean everything, can be attributed to the actions of one very minor character? Who? The gunner on the Star Destroyer at the beginning <laughs> of the first film. How come? Well, because if the gunner had shot the pod that C-3PO and R2 were in, they wouldn't have got to Tatooine, they wouldn't have met Luke, Luke wouldn't have met Ben, they wouldn't have met Han and Chewie, they wouldn't have rescued Princess Leia. None of it would have happened. Chaos theory. (laughs) Eh? The predictability of random events. The notion that reality as we know it, past, present, future, is in fact a mathematically predictable, preordained system. So somewhere out there in vastness of the unknown is it equation for predicting the future an equation so complex as to utterly defy any possibility of comprehension by even the most brilliant human mind it's an equation nonetheless oh my god what I've got some fucking Jaffa cakes in my coat pocket it's funny you should play the episode because I've actually got it on in the background with subtitles on. I've been watching it as I was doing stuff. Well, that and that episode, yeah, that episode literally wow. ended 15 minutes ago as we started wow. recording, pretty much. And we're on the episode where they uh, break Colin out of the uh, pound. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, spaced um, came along at the perfect moment in my life when I was really heavily into. You know, sci-fi and I was understanding more about films and TV and the tropes and the jokes and the references. So I understood more complex humour. So you kind of mature as an audience kind of member, not a member, but you know what I mean, an audience of film and TV and music. And I was 1999, so it's just approaching first GCSE year. No, second GCSE year was over, wasn't it? The year of 2000, we finished our GCSEs. Mm-hmm. And... It was a show pretty much tailor-made for people like me. And I would, I'd met, I think I'd met you, Rich, the year before. I think so, yes. I knew, obviously I knew of you, but it was Jesus. <laughs> no, it was Jesus E year, wasn't it? You heard rumours, had rumours. Rumours, yeah, rumours. Yeah. <laughs> the Tenalta Vista searches like, and there I was. So. Yeah, don't check your internet history. but <laughs> And I remember talking 
to Rich about this show called Spaced, and he turns around to me and says, I fucking love that show, and I think a friendship was formed. How do you remember this shit? Wow. Mate, my brain is... But Spaced (laughs) came... We met in 1998 or 97. Yeah. uh, Because we took graphics together with... And at school, and uh, that's how back that goes. How far back that goes, kids. <laughs> but um, Spaced was just one of those shows where if it was on, I wouldn't go out with my mates. I'd go out afterwards. I'd meet them somewhere. I'd watch it first because it filled it filled me with like euphoria and com- like confidence, you know. Because it was this show that wasn't trashy, mm. and the great thing was all of my mates didn't fucking know what it was. So. It was mine, <laughs> if that makes any yeah. sense. It was it was mine. None of my mates were into that kind of stuff. I was the weird nerdy kid in the group. It was that little diamond in your pocket, basically, and no one knew about yeah. so which is always and, quite cool. So. Um, me and my wife, we love Spaced, and we watched it about two or three times a year. We watch it through on a weekend sometimes, and the episodes are kind of all different themes and different tropes of film and TV, and this is... Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's and Jessica Ste- at that point Stevenson's demo reel for what they could do on limited budget and time just by a few lights aiming the camera and stealing shots and stuff like that in locations and it's glorious each episode is framed and shot like a mini film and Edgar Wright has obviously 20 years later is now directing massive major Hollywood movies and producing them and if anyone's seen Last Night in Soho that's oh, so a good perfect Edgar Wright movie it's full of so twists good. and turns it's shot gorgeously and obviously a few years after this they're going to do Shaun of the Dead and then the rest is history that kind of career would form and blossom from there but Spaced was one of those rare moments where they had an idea and they only wanted to do two series and they followed through with it. And I think Channel 4 wanted Edgar to do a third one. And he said, no, I'm going to tell our story. And we're going to put a cap on it. And that was it. It's basically six hours of film school. Mm-hmm. Is one way I've heard it described. And it's so accurate. Because, like I said, the, the episode I'm watching right now, they're busting Daisy's dog out, Colin. And it's all shot at night with one light source. And it looks gorgeous. <laughs> I've got no audio one. And it looks amazing. As I've gotten older, this is where a comedy sick you could call it a sitcom, I suppose. Or is it too clever and arty to be a sitcom? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it seems cheap to call it a sitcom. It's difficult yeah, to know how to categorise it. Which is... You've got sitcoms, you've got friends, and you've got whatever crap that was in this country, you know, coupling and cold not you know, cold feet. Yeah, there was sitcom dramas, but spaced should be a category of its own because it's so complex and it's so layered that every year that passes, I become more snobby because my palette as a film and film watcher and film fan becomes more honed as the years go on. So I see more films that I haven't seen ever. So every time I watch Space, I understand a new joke. It gets better, and that makes a show so multi-layered and well-produced. Mm. It makes it timeless because, again, I'll watch a film that I've never seen before, and then I'll watch Spaced, and I go, oh, shit, 
what the did they and I had to rewind it because I went there is that, that's the joke and I understand it for the first time in 20 years and some of the references are so deep cut that you have to hit the internet and go through various message boards to understand the jokes that's how complex it is and it was I bonded with a couple of other friends as well over spaced uh, Lindsay good bun another good friend of mine and Rich's she was heavily into spaced at the same time as we were and we would talk about it for hours. And I think you're part of that conversation, Rich, at school, where we would just talk about space and everyone's looking at us going, the fuck do you guys talk? What are you talking about? Yeah, I think what's like, so beautiful about that show is it it played to our nerdy sensibilities without being a nerdy show. It was kind of cool and it was it was kind of it's not saying it was cool and hip in the mainstream sense, but it felt cool and kind of hip to us. Yeah. And it came at a really important time. And I think it's still now quite relevant in that it was a show about young adults at a time where we were edging ever closer towards proper adulthood. Yeah. And we weren't wanting to accept the fact that we were growing up. We kind of wanted to shirk some of those responsibilities. We were still big kids. We fucked around. We didn't really want to go to work. Uh, we loved video games, mm-hmm. we loved movies and talking about references, and Spaced was, because of that, Yeah, unlike anything I'd seen up to that point. Yeah. And it just felt cathartic watching it, and it was funny, and obviously it was an introduction to some of my all-time favourite people now, like, especially Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it was it was just so different and I, I can't even compare it to anything that's come since in 20 plus years there's no. not anything that i can think oh this is like the space of you know it's the, the kind of things the that, tens the 20s yeah. it's it's like you've got water cooler tv haven't you like people talk about friends around the water cooler in the coffee room at work space yeah. would be talked about like in the corner of the office during work hours by two people yeah, not all it's actually things. at the desks, <laughs> not even yeah, like yeah. necessarily yeah, and just geeking out. Do you think like it was the first kind of acceptance of nerds? I don't know, like in the nineties, like people who liked science fiction and video games were just kind of like geeks, weren't they? And geeks weren't cool, were we? Well and, and I think we never spaced really, is and like spaced was I don't know, it felt like an acceptance, the first kind of acceptance that this was this was this was cool. Spaced is what the Big Bang Theory wishes it was. <laughs> spot on, spot on. Right? And if no one understands that, watch Spaced and then watch the Big Bang Theory and then just watch Spaced again. It's, you know, it's 12 episodes of just pure brilliance because it's not so much championing nerd culture because I didn't care what I was into at school. It didn't bother me. What Space was clever at doing and still is, is being so relevant for people struggling with introvert and extrovert, mm-hmm. where I've been, ever since a young young age, struggling with being an introvert and having bursts of extrovert energy and then disappearing and I just wanted to sit on my own in my house rather than go out because I didn't have the emotional energy. I didn't have that connection. And didn't want to do it. So it taps into that introvertness of people who you've got the introvert, you've got the extrovert, and you've got everyone just getting along together, even though they are so different from each other, 
they're all on the same page and understand each other as human beings. And it's great. I may be looking too far into it, but Tim being the struggling artist who wants this massive career, and in the first in the first episode, in the first twelve or fifteen minutes, the gag the gag is set up but the punchline's not delivered. You either understand it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Where you've got people with these big dreams and want to do these things and they can't because the system says they can't. And all they can do is struggle. Tim wants to be an artist. He's amazing. The character of Tim's an amazing artist and and writer, but he's working in a comic shop because it's the closest thing he can get to a job that's what he wants to do. Daisy's struggling for employment because she's com- she doesn't know what she wants to do. And it's laying down that real life lesson that you have to you can chase your dreams but you have to be realistic about it and it just it even even now approaching 40 like rich said don't say that chris please don't say that the show is (laughs) so relevant to even teenagers or 20 somethings today yeah because the same struggles are happening you go to school you do all these trainings and then you realize oh I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life and you try and escape and you just have to get on. <laughs> you just have to crack on. And it teaches you life lessons. It's getting very deep, this, about a sitcom, but it's not really a sitcom. It's more a study of just people, but yeah. done so cleverly. Like the party upstairs in like the second, was it the second episode? I think so, yeah. And they're playing people in their mid-twenties, and there's that joke where there's a party upstairs and they're holding a housewarming party and they've got like you know, nibbles and stuff and 80s music. But upstairs, the daughter of the landlady is having a teenage party and they're in awe of this teenage teenager's party. People are coming past the door saying, is this where the party is? Like, no, it's upstairs. And then they put their sunglasses on and go upstairs and they're like, they're all so young. And it's beautifully shot because then they realise that and you got Tim, who's chase running away from adulthood. He's running so far away from being a grown-up that he goes upstairs and joins a party and he's having a great time. But then they snap back to reality, and it's just it's it's the character moments as well. They're just so simply done, like it's so normal, and yet the antics that they get up to are so equally unrealistic. But you accept it, like when you know Mike the TA who steals a tank and tries to invade Paris. And then at the end when they piss Marsha off and they try and get her back and they go and steal another tank and they play, you know, whatever I did, whatever I said, I didn't mean it. And she wants something bloody spectacular. And I think that's the episode that ends with uh, Empire Strikes Back ending. (laughs) God, that was so beautiful. And when I was watching it, I remember going to myself, nothing seemed familiar to me at all until it got to the van and they were speaking. I was like, that's... That's Han speaking to what is going on. And they do the whole ending to The Empire Strikes Back, looking out the window, <laughs> and the music. The Tim put like, his arm around Daisy. Just like, yeah. just, oh and God. Mike, Mike yawning like Chewbacca in the pilot in the, <laughs> in the um, driver's seat of the van. Oh, genius. And then the camera pans away from Daisy and Tim uh, looking out the window. Not Daisy and Tim, it's... Um, oh, God. But anyway, the, the whole... It's even the the typeface and the music from Star Wars is licensed <laughs> for the ending. There are so, so many, so many brilliant moments like that, and there's a whole scene of them talking about a movie poster. 
but it's scripted in a way where it's a normal conversation happening between four people in a flat. But they're talking about a movie poster. I didn't know that joke existed. I found out about that about 10 years later, I think, on a on a post somewhere online, that they were talking about a movie poster. It escapes me what one it was, but they were just talking about a movie poster. And that is Edgar Wright in a nutshell. It was those kind of things that drew me to Spaced. Yeah. Like I was trying to like allude to, like I'd never really seen a show or never heard of a show that really embraced this kind of stuff before. I I never saw Spaced on its original run. It was something I always heard of, always something that other people told me about, something that I'd always needed to see, something I always wanted to see. And I only saw it in like mid-2000s in the end and I bought the DVD box set. And yeah, it was great. I mean, And I, I only went there to watch watch it because of all these because it made all these movie references made all these video game references you know it, it yeah. had all this kind of stuff that i was into and they were going to refer to all this kind of stuff within their plots of the episodes but like you've mentioned already chris like everything else that space brought with it i didn't expect to see or i didn't expect to hit me like it did with with the characterization right. and all the other stories that it was trying to tell you it was really cool like what you're just saying there about how it connected with you through because being an introvert and mm. everything mm-hmm. else that this show existed for that and on its own. Yeah. It's just beautiful, really. And to 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 say the show is very slightly autistic is an understatement. <laughs> because coming from someone who is obviously somewhere on that spectrum, I've never been officially, you know, looked at or diagnosed or whatever, mm. but the older I've gotten, my tendencies have become more obvious. Yeah. And that scared me to a point where I nearly had a breakdown a few years back because I didn't understand where, for some reason, the older I've gotten, the more obvious they've become. But it is a show tailored to people like myself, obsessed with detail and minute structure. And that's what Spaced is. It is just this minutely structured masterpiece of a show. And again, Tim's love of the X-Files and Star Wars. And his hatred like, of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah, got some issues to work out with George. Like, oh, friend of yours. Yeah, and it just pans out and he's burning his Star Wars stuff after Phantom Menace. It's just like, <laughs> wow. Like, that's a deep cut. And then when they go to sign on for... Is it, um, they go to sign on for the allowance, don't they? Yeah. And yeah. it's when Daisy comes back from Singapore. So she's trying to blag that she's not been away and she's been at home and been out of work. And Tim's sitting there and said, uh, yeah, had some had some few issues the past, you know, was it past year? And he goes, and the woman at the uh, office goes, Phantom Menace? Leave it with me. And then he gets a payout. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's Edgar Wright basically going... Yeah, you screwed that one, guys. And <laughs> What's that, that whole scene in the comic shop where he oh, just totally God. just shouts his head off at that poor kid who's just coming for his comic? And that and that to this day has become... It's been a meme for 20 years. A jumped-up, poor excuse of a toy commercial. Spend your 50p on something that's just like going off. Oh, God. There was, there was this scene where Tim's going absolutely irate and he's losing his, losing his call over everything. And Daisy just says, Tim... Tim, chill out. 
It's been 12 months. You weren't there. <laughs> and she's took, he's, took, he's losing his show to Phantom Menace. So and was, it thinks, Ewoks, was it Ewoks? Make, was it Jar Jar Binks makes Ewoks with like fucking shaft? Yes. The best one. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best line. And it, it's uh, silly jokes as well. Like, like Brian, the artist, artist Mark Heap, is just, he's so much more capable than what they had him doing Friday Night Dinner, whatever that was about. Mm. Him as Brian, pain, anger, fear, aggression, this struggling artist who's into some weird stuff. And it's the the start of the you've got red on you joke is in spaced. Oh, God, I, yeah. When Brian paints himself into a canvas to reference Rembrandt or something like that. And he comes up to Tim and says, can I borrow a tea bag? He says, yes, Brian, as long as you bring it back. <laughs> it's like... You can't borrow a tea bag, Brian. You can have a tea. And Tim turns <laughs> round. He's he's playing Tomb Raider two, Tomb Raider three or something, and drowning Lara Croft because he's in a oh, drowning mood. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we've all been there. We've all been there. That jumping off a cliff, you know. He, he turns round and goes, "You got some paint on you," <laughs> and he's covered. He's just in this canvas. It's just for some reason that joke just works. It's went to Shaun of the Dead. I don't brilliant. know why, but. But the, the the levels of humour go so deep. It's it's a comedy I don't consider a laugh out loud comedy, where people would barely laugh. Yeah. It's a smirking comedy to me because I I snobbishly understand what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I will I will smile or I will nod my head because I'm like, yeah, I see what you did there, guys. I see what you did, and I just wish them all major. Absolute hilarious, brilliant careers. Um, some of them have gone off the radar now, which is a shame. To well, how about because um, I guess like Nick Frost has dropped off quite a bit recently, hasn't he? But, yeah, um, he's been he's been a DJ for about twenty years on and off. Really, but he's doing. He's yeah. got a big presence on Instagram. And I follow him quite a lot. But he's he's got massive now. He's John Goodman massive now. Oh really? Yeah, but he's no. doing a lot of uh, like uh, private, um, well, like higher DJ stuff, and he's well for himself. And I think he does a few appearances in TV now and again in projects. That wrestlers biopic a few years back, didn't he? he played the dad. Oh yeah, he was in um, oh fighting with my family. That's um, it. He played yeah. the dad of uh, the the Knight family. Yeah, I you forgot about that. He did. Yeah, and Jessica damn. Stevenson. She turns up now and again in certain things. I wish her and Simon and Edgar would get together again and do something, but... That would be lovely. I've, I think they've kind of all moved on. I mean, I know... I just want them all to get together and do this, like, a nice little, like, Christmas present of... We've all got together. This is what we're going to do. And then just go, there it is. I would love it just to drop one day and say, this is what we've done. Please enjoy it. That would be amazing. And but I remember, I remember an interview Edgar Wright said they they didn't want to revisit Spaced because that was a part of their life that they they documented in Spaced. Yeah. It was kind of partly biopic of them knowing each other from like Bristol University and or Bath University or something that they went to. Oh, but, it's a shame, like I wish they could still get together and do a just a different project, you know. We've yeah. ever since the end of the Cornetto trilogy, they've not really done much together and, no, and it's, that's a bit of a shame really. But again, Edgar Wright's one of those filmmakers that he got away with it in the Cornetto trilogy by having his old castmates come in to do cameos here and there. But I think it would cheapen his movies now if one of them were to turn up. And I think they respect Edgar's distance for that understanding. Yeah. If that makes any sense to anyone. Yeah. 
Because you're watching Edgar Wright movie and fans of Edgar Wright like us would go, oh, fuck, shit, that's Simon Pegg or that's Nick Froster. And then it would take you out of the movie. But it worked for the Cornetto trilogy by doing that. Have you got a special or a favourite episode of Spaced? Not particularly. I like all of them, but I love that final episode. Like, all of them have their, their hallmark moments. Yes, a lot of it's dated. It's very extremely 1999-2000 to a point where it's the most like 1999-2000 thing you've ever seen in your life. But I just love that final episode where it all comes together and it's that happily ever after ending and it's great. They all make friends. Marsh is happier. Brian's happier. Tim and Daisy are together. And it's just a nice little ending episode with them travelling from the train station on top of Private Iron from the Robot Wars episode. Oh, oh. Yeah, that was inevitable. Oh, God, I forgot about that one. <laughs> the Robot Wars episode. Oh, just come oh. on. It's just... Whoa, what are you doing? Oh, he's a bit weird. You know, I get to be Philippa. I <laughs> <laughs> like role-playing they're doing. It was so... You don't I mean, realise what they're doing. and you're like, it's, what the it, spoke, it spoke to everyone at that time. Uh, but we all wanted to, you know, <laughs> have that conversation with Philippa. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's no Private more. Iron and War Bastard. That that <laughs> robot was War ep- Bastard was so good. that war, that robot was episode is just a masterpiece of parody. It's yeah. just done so well. That was fantastic. Oh, War Bastard! I just think one of the things. I mean, it's not directly related to the show, but one of the things that still sticks out to me about Space was that it's one of the things I always think of when I think of the real heyday of DVD format and just how spoiled we were for special features and the way discs were presented. I remember having the the set of series one and two and just it always been like a treasure trove of extras and gaff reels and little yeah. just extra snippets. And it's something now that is obviously just a long lost art and it is, space and... was like a gold standard. But a lot of British TV sets and comedy sets in general were quite generous when it came to that stuff and space was just like a revelation at the time yeah like, and we'll... this is why in my hand right now i have the free disc star wars version <sighs> i never had that one i always had the one with the, like the kind of um caricatures on the front this has got um, the caricatures that was drawn by the artist who did tim's work and they're actually behind the discs okay okay they're the caricatures and they're behind each disc so you take them out and you've got all the different seasons of them Nice on the paintball episode and nice like it's a lovely set and it just on the special features outtakes commentary biographies homage meter oh god yeah so you've got a reference almost where it just kind of it teeters over with what they're talking about <laughs> deleted scenes commentaries biographies kids biographies used to come on discs <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, lo- oh, I love it. Man. I just, it's so crazy. Stuff. Edgar Wright was originally sceptical of casting Nick Frost in the role of Mike, as at the time Frost was a waiter with no prior acting experience. In fact, the character of Mike was born out of Frost making Simon Pegg laugh, and Wright later said that Frost was brilliant in the part. And I'm glad if, that they, uh, I'm glad they found him if, and got him in yeah, there. If memory serves, like they met, I think he was working at a T, was it a TGI Fridays or? or something like that. And they would hang out, and Nick Frost would literally be like the Robin Williams of the group. He would literally just be the focal point. He would just keep people just going and talking mm. shit. And then 
in, I'm sure Edgar Wright said in one interview that when Nick Frost was in front of the camera, he was in costume, went to makeup, and he was like, no, no, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then he just said, just walk up there and do it. And he said the first take he nailed because he was just himself. And I think that works when you haven't got an acting background. You just go <laughs> ahead and you wing it and you be yourself and don't overthink it. And then it becomes mm. the most natural thing you could ever put on camera. And it worked. Yeah. Tim's first line of season two, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a graphic artist, is a play on the classic opening line of Goodfellas, when Henry Hill, voiced and played by Ray Liotta, says, For as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Tim's hate against Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace reflects Simon Pegg's real-life dislike for the film at the time. Pegg later expressed deep regret over this stance towards the film, and he admitted that he felt terrible for mocking the character Jar Jar Binks, whose actor Ahmed Best was suffering from toxic fan response at the time. And unfortunately, actors are still going through that now. Yeah, you toxic much bunch more, of bastards. On a much more mm. higher level, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah, big time, big yeah. time. Well, great, great. It, like I say, it's, it's a time capsule, isn't it? And just so much, there's just so much space that, we can't just cover it all, all in one. No, time it needs like have. a whole so, episode. Like I sure struggled we'll, just to condense it down, but I'm sure we can come back to it at some point in the new series season. So, but yeah, awesome, awesome pick, uh, Rich. Yes, it's time for your TV show of 1999, and yep. that is my choice is bits. Welcome back to Bits. Coming up, we'll be taking a look at what you should be spending your hard-earned cash on in this week's Shop Shelf. And we give you the do's and don'ts in our lesson on video gaming etiquette. But first, Alex takes a long, hard look at the gorgeous Shenmue. The 80s was an era of fashion victims and personal vendettas. If you weren't a leg warmer casualty, then you were probably wearing stonewashed jeans and a leather jacket, being a punk and searching for ways to avenge your father's death. Now, documenting that strange decade of marching powder-fueled revenge and aggression is a phenomenal new game that's ushering in a whole new sensation. It's called Shenmue. Shenmue follows Ariel, a young 80s guy, as he pursues the bad man who knocked his kung fu paw sideways for an ornamental mirror. He's seeking the why behind his sudden orphanship. He's seeking revenge. No turning the other cheek here. This soul, lost somewhere between Pob and the sensitive New Age reformation of the 90s, is seeing red. Father! No! So, that was 10 out of 10 for a... Clip choice, I must Thank say. You. I remember I that been... segment well. Yeah, you know me so well. Jason. Well, it's one of your favourite games, Rich, as I remember. So, oh, it's a masterpiece. Mm. Um, so bits. It is it kind of not just the fact it came out in the same year as Chris's choice, but I think similar to space, it just really speaks to that era, speaks to that time of our life, and it's not something that would ever be replicated again because it is so truly rooted in the late 90s so bits was just basically it was a video games review show it was hosted by three women uh, alex toski emily booth and emily newton dunn simple format every week they would just look at new games news but what it did so differently is that 
whereas you had the likes of Games Master that pretty much wrapped up the year before, it went head-on against still what was deemed to be the image of gaming in terms of mainstream media, and it was still in the domain of the slightly nerdy, even though, yes, the audience was getting older now and games were being played by more adults, it still wasn't fully accepted. And whereas Games Master was quite still tongue-in-cheek and laddish, it still unapologetically kind of played to the nerd crowd. You'd still have the kids be on the show as contestants, you know, asking questions in the consultation zone. What Bits did is that it truly embraced what gaming had become once the PlayStation had come in and games were now being played in nightclubs. It was basically a gaming show for people that got in from the pub late and wanted to watch something. It was a Channel 4 show in every sense of the word. It was very much the same template as like the word. Other stuff at that time that was just a lot more edgy and adult-orientated. And what it did differently, instead of like being in a studio, it would film from different locations. So it might be at the girls' apartment. It might be even in a branch of a Virgin Megastores. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, down the pub or in the streets. And basically that's where they'd present their lit their links, their reviews, their segments from. And it just was very kind of typical for the time, real messy, low budget, really anarchic television. They're very in-your-face, loud, ahead of its time as well, having three women, um, and two of which were very much actually versed in video games were proper experts they weren't just like a face to like, lure in young men to watch all very attractive yes but they knew their shit and it showed i mean they're still working kind of in the industry now i think emily newton dunn works for ea uh, i think alex works in the guardian doing like tech stuff so they're very much still tied to the industry but that's what was so nice about them, even though the show was very off-the-wall, kind of surreal, very laddish, in-your-face, loud, brash. They knew their stuff. They didn't mess around. It wasn't... It, it, it was kind of silly and in, in, um, immature, but it didn't kind of speak down to the audience. It, they very much felt like they were on your level talking to you as a fan of games. And I think, yeah, having the three women, it was very ahead of the time i mean we were kind of still coming off the back of girl power uh the the real like riot girl movement where a lot of the girls were becoming a lot more just what's the best way to put this very much just in charge of themselves you know taking no shit you know fuck boys you know fries before guys kind of type girls <laughs> um i love us i love it i love it so <laughs> Yeah, they they were just that kind of prototypical kind of ladette, but it wasn't preachy. And nowadays, I'm sure people would flip out like, oh, this is kind of forcing an agenda. It's pushing women on us in a, in a male space. Games are for everyone, even back in 1999. And his girls, his women were just fantastic doing the job they did. The show was just very funny. Like I said, it was very low budget. It wore its... It wore its budget on its sleeve. They were working with pounds and pennies, um, and they made it work. They used every single 
penny they had to just make the show as fun as possible i can't pretend it was anything novel in terms of format it was a typical kind of gaming show it they did the links they showed footage of games they never went abroad like don did with games master they very much were rooted in you know one place but their presentation styles their skills just their knowledge and their just madcap humor it made the show in some ways for me and it's kind of controversial but i kind of actually think i prefer it a little bit more as a show to games master mm-hmm. like it's not got the same like nostalgia and cachet as like games master's got i totally get that but i think it just came more at a time where i felt at my most in tune and excited with video games i mean i think games master ended I wasn't fully... I must have had a PlayStation at the time, but the bug hadn't really bit until probably later, between like the N64 going into like sort of the Dreamcast, that kind of era. And bits kind of picked up the baton right around that sweet spot. I mean, I still remember being up one night, I couldn't sleep, got up, made myself a drink. And they had, a, they had a preview of Sega Rally for the Dreamcast, and it was literally at the week before the console came out. I had the pre-order, the game was pre-ordered, and just seeing it on TV, seeing the footage, I was so, so excited. And you can't get that feeling anymore because everything's just there on YouTube, online. But seeing it on TV at the time at like two in the morning, I was flipping out. I was so excited. And... That's the magic of those kind of shows. And I think, again, it just spoke to me at a time in my gaming like life more than Games Master did. Sorry, just to, to get this straight, like, bit, was Bit shown at like 2am in the morning? Probably maybe a little bit earlier, but you were looking at about probably 1, yeah, maybe about 1-ish, 1.30. Wow. It was proper, like, the crowd that were coming home from the nightclubs, coming home late from the pub yeah. with a takeaway. It, it wasn't geared that- towards the the teenagers or the that was me at the time and i can't remember watching this show i'm the same i never i my weird relationship with gaming i've never really (laughs) sought out gaming shows but i until you mentioned it rich i didn't even know it was a thing it's just it was just such i think it just came at a time where there's a real it was a real time capsule especially when it came to like channel 4 tv shows like you had vids as well which was a very similar show with a very similar title, very similar production style, and did movies. It was mm. like a couple of it was like a couple of blokes in like a video rental shop. Again, just the magic of nineties television. You know, yeah, just absolutely <laughs> zero budget, like almost negative budget. <laughs> and um, I think it's just sorely missed. Everything's got so much sheen and polish, and I I love that time where it was just like eh, three women. Various locations, yeah. Very front room, and they're just—they was just a real nice bond you had with them. Um, I think the show lasted for about five series. And I know what show, I, I used to just make a point of like taping up for TV. I would get up on a Saturday morning. I never stayed up and watched it on the Friday night if I could help it. I never went out, so I, I didn't appeal to the audience, and I—I I never came home to watch bits. I was very much in bed at. 10 30 11 because i was a boring bastard as much then <laughs> as i am now <laughs> but yeah i used to set the older uh, video plus timer and uh 
I was very excited on a Saturday morning when I knew there was another episode. All very and sad when Video Plus didn't work and it didn't tape it. <sighs> yeah. You. I won't lie. I, I never used it out of that exact principle, Jason. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. yeah manual, would, manual timer for the win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would set alarms to record certain like films and stuff I wanted to watch. I wouldn't rely on Video Plus because I've been caught out many times before. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. is it? It's kind of like the successor to Games Master, isn't it? Because nothing. It came the following year, basically, yeah. yeah. It, and yeah. It, I, I kind of like the, the reversal that they went with with this because obviously Games Master, especially in the last few series, it was very laddish, very blokey. You know, Dom had his mates on set most of the time. You know, it was uh, it was run by his friends and the you know people that he was close by, and it was all very blokey, very yeah. laddish. And then all, all of a sudden the successor with Bits came in, was shown much later at night, but with three women and it was much more just about the games and not about the challenges and yeah. I, I kind of like that reversal that they did with that you know you know how how can we follow games master and still continue the video game coverage that people seem to really like on our on our channel and it, it, I, I kind of like the way that they went with that it was a nice soft like kind of evolution i think of games master and that games master it was still presented very much towards that niche audience, but it had enough laddish or no laddish quality about it. Dom had that real kind of wink and a nod where he was very much like embracing that the niche, the the geeky image that gaming still had, but was just trying to nudge it a little bit further into being accepted. Whereas I think by the time bits came out or Games Master had ended and bits came to be. It was that lot more accepted. I think some of the people that were watching Games Master, at least some of the older fans, they were now very much... It sounds sounds terrible, but they were getting into alcohol, um, getting more into women as well. And I think it appealed more to that. It scratched both those itches. It was on at a time where they were dabbling in said alcohol and women would come home from the pub in their bed sit at their parents house if they still lived with their parents and there was bits yeah and i I still even now and this is in 1999 i love the fact that it was the three women but they weren't just furniture to appeal to what some tv exec thought blokes because i think even then it was very much considered oh it's a it's a a guy thing it's a boy thing but it was they didn't do the big breakfast what big breakfast did in this year by by signing up Kelly Brook. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They weren't they weren't a prop. They were they were gamers. At least two or three were. Um yeah. even if there was anything kind of sexualized jokes, it was very much of their doing. It was their whole like they had their own agency on what they were doing. It was played for laughs. It was never cheap or crass or exploitative shit like that, which bothers me massively and i just again the show was in 1999 whereas nowadays people would be like you know it would be accepted or would be considered as you know probably a show made by social justice warriors or something to appeal to you know people that want equality you've got to have three women and they've got to be you know treated with respect it's like well they were doing it in 1999 and it it worked it was so Mm. good and i yeah i miss that show massively i wish there was still an equivalent but gaming doesn't have a place on tv anymore it's just it's one of those things it is a bygone era and uh i think bits was the last 
example of that. I mean, Alex did go on to do Thumb Bandits with Ian Lee once bits had finished. That lasted all of like five minutes. It never really left any impression whatsoever. Yeah, it's a shame, really. I mean, yeah. I, you know, bits kind of passed me by because I was one of those said people that were going out clubbing. Now, I was, you know, in 1999, I was 21. So I was going out clubbing with my friends and getting drunk. And and I think this is why I missed some of this stuff at this time of my life because I was too busy just going out and drinking and whatever I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, with bits being at that time of night, I'm really surprised I didn't catch it at some point. One other thought I had about bits was the fact that because it was shown so late at night, I was I'm still quite impressed that they got uh, video game companies to agree to show footage or or get them to play games or you know or or kind of cover their games on on a program that was shown so late at night on telly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hidden away, but I like the fact that it got to be what it wanted to be because of that time slot. It wouldn't have ever been a thing in prime time it 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 was never like overtly you know politically incorrect or crass but it had enough like edginess into it that probably would make don blush to be fair (laughs) (laughs) and it was just happened to be it was three women doing it i think it's just so much more fun and and so quintessentially 90s as well like three women wearing chunky boots and wearing like day glow belly tops and it was just (laughs) So 90s. I had a great time like looking at clips on YouTube, trying to find yeah. the one uh, to put on the show. And uh, it was a lot of fun just watching watching them do their stuff. It just made me regret not seeing it even more when it was first shown. But Yeah. But so. Emily Newton-Dunn and Alex Krotowski, they're not really in the public eye anymore. But if you want to see Emily Booth, she still does stuff on the uh, the horror channel. So there you go. See some bits. uh <laughs> I'll see some bits on the horror channel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. it's, it is quite funny the way you explained it. It's weirdly kind of, not not poignant's the word, but it's the kind of show that you would see Tim Bisley or Ed Wright watching when they got home from said clubs and pubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, like I said, it's a grown-up thing that grown-up gamers and people with that interest would watch when they got in. Yeah. And it's it's quite weird. I'd never really looked into it, and I'm going to have to actually because it was, like, it was never try hard. There. It was never try hard. It was never like yeah, in your face, gamers. It was, it didn't feel like it was edgy or anarchic by committee television. It was mm. these three women were like in charge of this shit. They were putting it together, making it their own baby, and just presenting it onto TV. And it felt honest and real. And they felt like three like women you're having a laugh with down the pub just and that's yeah you you can't bottle that stuff that's it's organic if it happens or it doesn't and they did it for five years and uh well no not it was actually three years it was five yeah five seasons across three years which is a bit of a mind trip mm. but <laughs> i don't think yeah i don't know if channel four even have it on like streaming or anything i doubt it but i wish mm. they did it's a it's a shame but yeah yeah it'll be one of those shows that have just just go into obscurity or is already there i guess so. but it's a shame uh preservation and all that come on bring it back to dvd yeah please <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's move on to our last pick for this episode and uh that's obviously my pick and the only tv show left is red dwarf for the last four years you have been engaged in the total immersion video game red dwarf 
As with all role-playing adventures, you will experience a certain amount of disorientation on leaving the game. It will be several minutes before your real-life memories return. So, in the meantime, please disengage the game-playing machinery and relax until an attendant is free to answer any of your questions. On behalf of Leisure World International, may we be the first to say, welcome back to reality. This is a very, very bad dream, right? <laughs> I'm not a hologram. I'm half human. What the hell happened to my teeth? <laughs> I can open from beer bottles with my overbite. <laughs> right, lads, how you feeling? Big wonky? Perfectly normal. We're right as right in 20 minutes. So, if you could just move from to the recuperation lounge, I can get things ready for the next lot. The next lot? There's a very popular game. It's Red Dwarf. It's got a two-year waiting list. So, I was kind of a bit bummed that we started in 1990 with What's Wrong With Wolfie in some ways because I've always wanted to talk about Red Dwarf because I think it's one of the first experiences that I ever had science fiction. You and me both. I've got a lot of good things to say about Red Dwarf. Glad you um, picked it. Yeah. Uh, so when it came to 1999, I didn't, I didn't, there was nothing really that debuted in this year that really I hold special or dear to me. I, I tried to, I tried to get spaced out of Chris, but he just wouldn't budge. He's like, nope, spaced is mine. <laughs> not, you're not I'm having Chris. it. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I did a 96 TV show. I went back and I looked at the shows that were ending this year and Red Dwarf, its original run ended in this year. So I was like, Awesome. This is my opportunity to get to talk about Red Dwarf. So here we are. And like my first, like earliest memories of this show was kind of like my brother watching Red Dwarf. And I used to just catch pieces here and there about it. And it looked quite intriguing. And then it was, you know, a couple, two or three years later. And I was like, what was that program that he was watching? You know, I remember it looking quite interesting. So uh, I caught reruns, or I can't remember how I got to watch it, but I did start watching it and catching the latest episode, the latest series that were being shown on BBC Two, and it just it just clicked. It just got its claws into me straight away, and I didn't want to let go because it was just brilliant. And I guess in some ways, with how Chris was talking about space, is Red Dwarf to me because mm-hmm. of everything that they did in that show especially in that first six six series because they they did the impossible in some ways they they kind of managed to meld interesting uh well-told science fiction stories but within a british comedy and you know i think someone in bbc or whatever said that wouldn't work don't we're not you know we we do not want to commission the show because this this mesh of the, these genres is it's not going to work, but they they showed that it did, and I'm really grateful, really happy that they managed to get this TV show made because it's just brilliant. Like the the four main characters, so completely different, but so relatable in all their different traits and ways, and you know the idea of like bringing back this hologram. In series one, you know, because they had this big accident, 
they wiped human <laughs> humankind. Uh, they're, they're in deep space. Lister's literally on his own on this big, massive ship. So, you know, Holly, the ship's captain, uh, the ship's computer, sorry, wants to bring someone back from the crew to keep Lister happy, uh, keep him company. And so they bring back the one person that he completely hates, you know, in Arnold Rimmer. But it was brilliant because they could bounce off each other. They had that kind of slight hatred for each other, but also, like, you could see as the series progressed, like, they did have that kind of background love for each other as well. You know, it, it turned into like a, I don't know, brotherly kind of relationship, you know. And I think that's the other great thing about Red Dwarf was the way in which they they brought the characters along for the ride and they managed to progress them in some ways, you know, and, and their relationships with each other. But but then on the other side, you, you just had these great science fiction stories that were just brilliant, like in that clip we just heard from Back to Reality, where they're fighting a despair squid. They, they find out that the ink that the squid ejects gives these people despair and, and in the end makes them want to kill themselves. And then all of a sudden we, we see this game over screen because they crash they crash Starbug in into the into a cliff or something so it blows up they all die and and then we find out that it's all just a video game that they're just they've just been playing this video game for the last four years they've just all died and that's it you know that they're back to back to their back to reality and what a brilliant what a brilliant story to to try and tell <laughs> in a comedy British sitcom it was just oh you know and then like the the brummy work walk worker kind of comes in and kind of like then it's going oh did you do this did you get kachansky you know this is going no he goes what but that was the main aim for lister you know to get together with kachansky <laughs> and like you know and like going but to 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 rimmer and going oh did you find the captain's log thing that was embedded in this i can't remember what it was now or whatever and it told you the secrets of the character and made you become this and that and the other and it's like no i didn't find that out when this at the other, and then of course, just the the brilliant creation of Dwayne Dibley that we heard just there <laughs> God. With, with with the teeth. But that that showed the brilliance, I think, and that was one of the reasons why I chose that clip. It showed the brilliance between the two of the show, between the comedy and the science fiction. And like there was some other it's just really just some great ideas that they brought to the show. And like some of my favourite shows are in series five where you have uh, that show, Back to Reality, and Quarantine. Oh, Quarantine. Mr. (laughs) Fibble. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. uh, Mr. Fibble is very angry. (laughs) (laughs) Always wearing that Gengam kind of like made outfit with those two white wild... Uh, Ponytails. Pigtails, everything, and a little bonnet. And it's just brilliant, but it was, but it was so clever because, like you know, Rimmer had picked up a, a holographic infection through through this other hologram that was like going crazy, and and, and like the whole basis of that show was like, every, like Crichton was constantly throwing uh, space directors at Rimmer and why they can't do this and why they can't do that, and then like, they make they give they make Holly give him give Rimmer a, a copy of the space directives. 
And then, obviously, then Rimmer turns the tables and throws all these space directors at them and puts them in quarantine, which is great, because it's like, come on. <laughs> they put them all in quarantine and like, come on, we can do this. We can do 75 days together in this small room, just the three of us. Come on, we're, we're the boys from the dwarf and all this and that. And then it was like <laughs> cut five days later and they've all beat the crap out of each other. So, yeah. And then there was another one. I'm not sure if it was in this series, actually, or not, but uh, obviously uh, Polymorph. Where where oh, the uh, where Dwayne Dibley comes back, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, well, I think this was the one where uh, an alien comes aboard Red Dwarf, uh, but he it's like a, a shapeshifter. Mm. So he it, it shapes into obviously lots of different things like a ball, rabbits, and this, that, and the other. And obviously and a that, thermos. Oh, yeah. God. And then you, you obviously have that iconic scene where it had morphed <laughs> itself into Lister's boxer shorts. Um, <laughs> And then, like, Rimmer walks in on Crichton trying to take these boxer shorts that are shrinking yeah. and shrinking and shrinking on Lister. It just, it, oh, just great. And I, another one that sticks in my brain to this day is uh, Backwards. I oh, think, I'm from glad you three. mentioned Backwards. That is just an art form. Because it's still, that... especially for the, for the time it was shown, uh, it was really cleverly done. And this mm. one was based on, um, they thought they found Earth. They thought they were back. And they go to the surface just to find out that everything is backwards it's not london it's not normal yeah <laughs> um and like everyone speaks backwards everyone's doing things backwards yeah. so like they're in a, <laughs> they're in a cafe and they're, they're sitting there and then the 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 worker comes over and then chucks a load of rubbish on the table <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of gives it all a wipe and then like I don't know, like they cut to a woman drinking some tea, but obviously the tea's coming yeah. out of her into the cup. <laughs> and then the waiter takes the cup away or something. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. They're just brilliant. But just <sighs> by just... taking it a step further, by them going, we could monopolise on this, and then they earn a fortune by doing yes. things the normal. normal. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all loving it. All these people are loving it that they're doing normal things. They're drinking yes. drink and they're eating food. Yeah. And that just show- it just shows the brilliance of the show. In in that sense, you know, and like you have Lister, the, the the person you can relate to the most, you know, the beer drinking curry lover, kind of most down to earth guy. There, you got Cat, who came from the cat that Lister had on on the on the original Red Dwarf series, and the accident happened, and it kind of morphed into this human. Like oh, they had a off- whole like yeah. society, didn't they? There was yeah, it was an like- offshoot of Lister's cat. Yeah. It was pregnant at the time, and then f- was it three and a half million years? Red Dwarf. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So well, was... Lister was in stasis, so three and a half million years, and the cat <laughs> evolved into human form, <laughs> played beautifully by Danny John Jules. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, that man is just beautiful in that. Crichton, who you know they find on a ship, who who he thinks is still serving his m- mistresses, masters, when they're all just like yeah. three skeletons. <laughs> And he can't see a problem with this, you know. Because his programming says he must serve his masters, regardless yeah. if they're dead. <laughs> um, and I think he kind of goes on the biggest, like, journey of, like, progression. Like, you know, because Lister's trying to get him to break his programming. He's trying to get him to swear. He's trying to get him to do all oh, this kind God. of stuff. And, like, it's so funny seeing Crichton trying to say a swear word because he's like... <laughs> Kind of sneak. <laughs> yeah. I remember. <laughs> um, and, then, oh dear. and of course, you've got Chris Barry who plays Rimmer. Just 
I don't know. Like, and I guess he goes on quite a, a, a story as well. You know, you learn a lot about him and why he is the way that he is for his parents and his kind of upbringing he had with his siblings and this, that and the other. And, you know, you can kind of like feel a little bit more sorry for him in some mm. ways because the kind of person he is because of the background that he came from. But then, you know, you, they still twist it and they, they gave us Ace Rimmer. Yeah, Fantastic. the alternate yeah. reality version, isn't it? Yeah. Smoke me a kipper. I'll be back for breakfast. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't really know what else to say about it because it just it's just a special show for me because of those mm. reasons. It kind of, like I say at the beginning, it kind of introduced me to, to science fiction. It got me interested in it to the point that it made me want to investigate other TV shows in that genre. And so without Red Dwarf, I don't think I would have found Star Trek and I wouldn't have found other uh, films and shows in that genre. So I think that's why Red Dwarf holds a, a big place in my heart. And I'm kind of, I was kind of glad that it got continued with Dave channel. Yeah. And, we, and that was kind of beautifully surreal that, you know, it was Dave that picked up and managed to pick yeah. up the show and, and release new episodes, obviously because Dave Lister, um, but I think they did a good job with those shows, and and the film Promised Land yeah, uh, was the, was was another great little, just great. The high high concept science fiction ideas told in the most irreverent sitcom setting was just genius. And the canned laughter works because the canned laughter is part of the jokes. It's supposed to be silly. It's supposed to have that that stupid canned laughter because it just works that way. It's, the show's designed to be like that, and even. Even just the name of the character, A Rimmer, <laughs> is just, you know, we all know what a Rimmer is. <laughs> it's just a suck-up. It's just a suck-up to the management, isn't it? Oh, you're rimming, are you? And they name the character, and it's just genius. Absolutely brilliant. And But weirdly with Arnold Rimmer, like, he's such a complex person, and the, the collection of 20th century telegraph pole photographs is like the most boring of boring interests you could ever imagine. But Chris Barry delivers it in such a way where you actually almost would be interested in seeing his collection <laughs> but the show itself just landed so well every single episode was just so clever and where you find out like where Lister came from from underneath a pool table and then they do that whole time travel shenanigans it's like a just it's a temple headache but it just it's so brilliantly done I think there was one time travel episode they did where they had a time machine and they got it to work and so they said, where should we go? And they said, why don't we go to the 14th century? And they, and they decided, okay, that's cool. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the 14th century. <laughs> so they, they key it all into the machine. And you see all the graphics. And they go, vroom, vroom. And then they go, well, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. And, it's, and they're like, well, I think it was quiet. And they went, well, yes, because it would look exactly the same because we're still three million miles away from Earth. But instead <laughs> yeah. of being in our time, we're now three million years away from Earth in the 14th century. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they're like, oh, well, well, that was a waste of time. or you know. And then they was like, put it to bed and, ca- and cracked on. It's just gags like that. Like I always remember the most English gag they've ever done is when they're on Starbug and... Rimmer says, right, okay, Crichton, switch your ship to red alert. And Crichton turns around and says, are you sure, sir? Because that does mean changing the bulb. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most 
British joke ever. <laughs> you can't switch your ship to red alert because you've got to change the bowl. It's, oh, it's just genius. And it's just Robert Llewellyn, just sorry, but it's just delivery is just perfect every single time. And the episode where Crichton becomes human. Yeah, that shows, was cool. Shows Polaroids to the crew. <laughs> and it's like a dozen <laughs> Polaroids. <laughs> is this normal, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Red Dwarf, just, oh, just brilliant. And I think it was really great that they had a computer as well, but they didn't just have the voice. They had a face for that computer. Oh, Norman, love it. Just, oh, my God. I think yeah. he... Yeah, I think... All right, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's so mad. Like, Red Dwarf was always, like, kind of in my orbit, but I never really ever got into it, which maybe is bad. I know I've watched a fair share of episodes, but I don't know what it was. Why something didn't fully click with me, where I just flat out became a fan, and it's a yeah, weird one. Yeah, it does seem a bit, because it seems right up your street, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, and like, even the, when we were talking just there about Holly, and they he had a specific episode in, I'm not sure which series it was now, but it was Queeg, where That's, that's the... F- First or second series? I think it might be the second series, mine. Where he, he pranks the entire crew. Spoilers ahead, guys. I know, and that was the brilliance, it. though, wasn't it? It was like, oh, we're upgrade. Where I've upgraded myself, and we're, uh, yeah, there was a was it? There was a soft, software subroutine or something that pre-installed itself. Yeah, and so and so, it, so, yes, <laughs> they, they, um, Holly was replaced by this uh, other actor, and like he was just complete douche. It was basically uh, a mili- militant black man as yeah. a computer that uh, ran the crew through everything, like training programs, getting them ready for stuff, punishing then, them. And-, yeah. and then right at the end, like the normal Holly comes back and was like, all right, mates. Yeah, that, that was a joke, that was. Yeah, it was me all <laughs> along. <laughs> just seeing up where he could push him because he was bored. <laughs> that is brilliant. Brilliant reveal. Yeah, I uh, like that a lot. The talky toaster. The, the talking toaster. Talky yes. toaster. Hey, I want some toast. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't want any toast. Can, can you sing the title theme, Chris? Oh, I can pretty on. much Don't. know the words, but I'm not going to sing it. Don't enable him. <laughs> Why not? Well, it's cold outside. You know, there's, there's no, no kind of atmosphere. atmosphere. We're, We're all, all alone, alone all more or less. less. Let me fly. Far away from here. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> In the sun, sun, sun. <laughs> I think when they decided in Series 7 to get rid of the audience and they changed the way they filmed it, I believe, that, was it 7 or 8? I can't, I'm not sure. But it was one of the later series and they, they made these changes and I think that's when it started to not work because they tried to turn it into something that it wasn't. That it wasn't. That's what I said when the canned laughter is part of the joke. And when you remove part of the joke, it's weird. It feels it feels like it's taking itself too seriously. And that's what happened. Was it the later seasons where they're on that, that prison ship, aren't they? Is it a prison ship or a prison cell for like oh, it's two seasons? They, they, they did go on a prison one. And I think that was one of the ones that I kind of liked. It was kind of going back more towards where it used to be, but it was still not quite right. Mm. Um, but I think it might have been one of the other... Where they were still, you know, on a on a 
on Red Dwarf where they just wasn't, yeah because they they wasn't tried quite right they brought the crew back didn't they the, the nanites that regenerated Red Dwarf yeah and the jokes were clever but the whole crew came back and it kind of ruined that dynamic there was too many people in the cast at that point where it only worked with the four of them but by having it populated with mass loads of cast regulars it just I think it, it didn't hurt it a bit there was just too much going on yeah yeah and like we've been used to it just being the four of them for so long mm. that you felt a bit alienated i guess that it was all these new people i'm quite glad when dave did pick it up and bring it back that they realized mm. that and that they took it back to where it should be with just the four main characters even if they did take them to coronation street but. that was again that was part of red dwarf's humor was that that was down to earth, wasn't it? That little mm-hmm. mini mini series they did, like a litmus test of is there an audience still for this? And it did work, yeah. But when definitely. they did it, when they did it, when they brought it back, like series proper, it kind of it did work. I haven't seen the last se- two seasons, I believe that they did. I just haven't got around to it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just a great little show, and I always remember a couple of good gags when they're in the prison, where List is doing Morse code through the piping. And there's just it's a fight, a whole five minute scene setting up this gag, and they're tapping Morse code, and Rimmer's like, "Oh, Lister, did you find out what was her? No, wrong number." <laughs> and she's like, "What the hell?" Like, and signing up for the Canaries when he thinks it's like a, <laughs> he thinks it's like a, a militia group of people, and it's not. It's the uh, basically Operation Human Shield, where they're the Canaries that go into the. <laughs> the battle oh, zone no. to die to die <laughs> so the people above them don't <laughs> but Lister's that innocent car and didn't Norman Lovett came come back last year or the year he before did. yeah did come back for a couple Holly yeah. was like I don't know why Holly was absent I think Norman Lovett left to do his own show and then they recast with ah oh, what's her name Hattie Haybridge Hattie Haybridge that's it and then when Red Dwarf came back Holly was offline and for some reason wasn't online and all of a sudden there's isn't it that's the different realities where Rimmer's hopping between the different realities isn't it I think so yeah and Holly's online and a few of them and he just says alright Arnold <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because you can see Chris Barry's loving his face seeing Norman Lovett on the screen for the first time in probably yeah. 20 years yeah I think I think with Norman uh, it was down to him being in Edinburgh at the time of Series 3. Obviously, they were down in London or whatever, but he wouldn't come down for the uh, script readings or or whatever it was, or the filming. or I I don't know what it was. It was something along those lines, and I think he wanted more money, and they just went there. I thought he got his own sitcom show, didn't he, as well? Which I'm, sh- I'm, I'm, I'm 50% sure that's what it was, but something I mean, like I could that, be but wrong. But. The masterstroke of doing the whole Holly thing was most of it was filmed in real time on set. So Norman was off stage with like a black turtleneck on a black mm-hmm. velvet black screen uh, rear screen. So all of his lines were delivered at the same time as all the others. So they would have a full free flow conversation. If I remember rightly, they filmed it and they synchronized the camera shutter to the, um, the old CRT TVs that were the monitors. Yeah. So it wouldn't have that shimmering look. So by syncing up the shutter speed with the refresh rate on the CRT TVs, you don't get that weird line movement that you get. And, that, and that, it was just great by doing it real in real time. It added that extra bit of tactile realness to the whole thing. 
That did remind me, like sometimes they used to put Holly on a CRT and then put on, put the CRT on a trolley and then have the scutters kind of push him about. That was a great gag. <laughs> you know, you're thinking Red Dwarf's supposed to take place in the future, but here comes a uh, school TV on a trolley. With yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And that, and that was the masterstroke in the new ones, wasn't it? Where don't they have to reboot Holly? And they, they take the mick out of the early Red Dwarf because obviously they're still using video cassettes and floppy disks in the original mm-hmm. Red Dwarf, aren't they? Yeah. So by honouring that, they have to reboot Holly. But Lister says it's got like, it's a high-capacity high diskette. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Well, and they get Holly's backup. And it's a floppy disk drive the size of a doorway. Am I misremembering that? <laughs> the, the newer ones haven't stayed in my brain as much as the no, old ones. So I can't... I sh- Sure, I saw it on YouTube or something because I haven't watched many of the new ones, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they boot Holly up with this massive, out of scale <laughs> floppy disk. It sounds <laughs> it like something they would do. To, yeah, yeah, two of them to carry it and push it into this floppy disk drive. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, thank thank you to Rob Grant and Doug Naylor for for creating this TV show. It's just just a very special special show. Robert Lewenen uses a Canadian accent to play Crichton. And he considered using a Swedish or an American accent before settling on Canadian. Lewenen discovered the accent while spending time in Vancouver, British Columbia, which he describes as being a cross between Scottish and American, which is quite interesting. I, I didn't really know why he, hmm. was, he had that accent, but... This is a really interesting choice, but I suppose it makes the android character more androidish by not being British like the rest of them. Hmm. I don't know. That's... Yeah. That's proper method stuff, that, isn't it? <laughs> and according to an interview with Patrick Stewart, the first time he saw the programme, he thought it was a rip-off of Star Trek The Next Generation and was just about to call his lawyer. This may be hyperboil sarcasm on Stewart's part, but as he continued watching, he became a fan of the show. I did not I know that. And according to Craig Charles, because the cast had very little acting experience prior to the first series, the characters are mostly based on their real personality. Charles states that he is... Slovenly in real life, Danny John Jules really does own a large amount of clothes, and Robert Lewenon <laughs> really is neat and carries a lot of guilt. The only similarity that Chris Barry has to Rimmer is his interesting cars. I didn't yeah. know about the Patrick Stewart thing. That was <laughs> that's really weird. How yeah. did I not come across that? So there you go. There's our picks for TV shows of 1999, and a lovely bunch they are too. Please, yeah, if you haven't ever checked out some of these shows, then we definitely urge you to go and do so because um, they're, really, they're really like a big time capsule for, for the time period. That's your look for this one. Thank you as always to everyone for joining us and if you have enjoyed the pod and would like to support us then we do have a coffee page where you can donate to the show starting from a pound a massive thank you to all who have done so you're all legends and if that's not right for you right now you can also support us by just giving us a review or rating on apple or spotify or sharing our social media posts you can find the links on our website speaking of the website go and check it out at thewolfypod.com please it is home to all our links back catalogue of episodes articles and much more chaps time to say goodbye goodbye farewell my name has been jason dom it's over to you well that's it for another episode of what's wrong with wolfie the boys are off now to hit the roulette table with patricia routledge see you later
Janelle. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. 